attitude uh, to Pastor Sheridan and to the eldership of the church uh, for this privilege. Uh, I can. I don't really know how to appreciate you. You know, uh, the first time I met with Sheridan, you've already said a lot. Uh, listening to him, there was a radical connection between my heart and his heart. And uh, I said, God, wherever this man of God is, I will find out, and I will sit under his feet. <laughs> and uh, I located this church. I worshiped here for about a month, and he didn't know until I finally showed up. Do you remember? So he has really been a great blessing to me. He has shown me uncommon favor, incredible love, and uh, he's always there for me, uh, helping me, instructing me, mentoring me, and uh, I feel like staying in South Africa the rest of my life just for him. <laughs> Yeah, you know, when uh, he told me that I will be preaching today, and God actually lay upon his heart, he said, Shalom, I'm not giving you any particular passage or any particular topic. Seek the face of the Lord, and he will give you a message. I was so excited as he was talking, because when I look back, my life has been a journey of faith. I was so excited that I'm going to preach about faith. I'm going to tell the church how to put your faith to work. You know, when I sat on the table preparing for this message, and the Holy Spirit began to minister to me, he said, Shalom, don't preach what you want the church to hear. Preach what the church needs to hear. And, uh, you know, uh, I was like puzzled. I said, God, what do I do? And as I seek the face of the Lord, the Lord gave me a message. And... uh, Ready? Yeah, and this is, this is the message the Lord gave me to share with you today. Unconditionally forgive people as you have been forgiven. Unconditionally forgive people as you have been forgiven. And uh, I want you to turn your Bible with me this morning. Turn your Bible to Matthew 18. Just keep your hands there. Matthew 18. Uh, and while you keep that passage open, I just want to ask you this question. Have you ever pondered why is it that most politicians often get involved into campaign as if it is a matter of life or death? <laughs> well, from my, from my observation, one of the reasons has to do with the fact that uh, some of these politicians, they go in for loans that they have to pay heavy amount as interest. So even say their property to raise the necessary fund to sponsor their campaign. Now imagine that if at the end of the election they don't win, haven't become heavily indebted, how would they settle their debt? Well, our passage this morning, Matthew 18 from the 21st verse to 35, presents a similar story of indebtedness and the means of payment and the means of settlement. So right from the first verse, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the necessity of forgiveness and also having a childliness attitude in order to enter into the kingdom of God. Right up to the 21st verse where Peter interrupted with a question. And what is the problem? The issue at stake has to do with Peter's question 
And Jesus responds. Peter asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times, he asks. So Musa, New Testament scholar, uh, says that Peter's suggestion of seven times is, is making reference to the idea of perfection or completeness noted in Genesis. But I want you to know that uh, Peter's suggestion of seven times is, just not a, is not just a mere suggestion. In Luke 17, Jesus has already taught them that if a brother sins against you seven times and returns to you seven times repenting, you must forgive them. And also looking from verse 15 to verse 20 of this same chapter, Jesus is already instructing them about forgiving a sinful brother, what we commonly call today church discipline. So Peter's suggestion of seven is to know if the same principle is applicable here and also based on his understanding of what the rabbi taught about forgiveness. So in ancient Judaism, the rabbi taught that somebody who repeatedly commits an offense against you and asks for forgiveness are not truly repenting. They are just putting on a show. And then the rabbi decided to determine how many times a person can seek forgiveness and restoration. And their conclusion was three times. In other words, if somebody offends you the first time, the second time, the third time, they are forgiven. But the fourth time, they are not forgiven. And now Jesus will respond to Peter's question. And what is Jesus' response? I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Uh, I don't know which translation of the Bible you are using there, so there's a kind of textual variant in that particular verse. Uh, some version says 70 times, some say 77 times, some say 77 times 7. But Musa, New Testament scholar, uh, set it for 77 times 7, which is a reference to the Greek translation of the Old Testament of Genesis chapter 4, verse 24. But what this verse is saying is, the forgiveness of the believer should know no limit. Forgive without keeping record. Forgive countless time. Don't tell your brother that you have only one chance remaining. This is the last time I'm forgiving you. Your cup is almost getting full. No. The, 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 the kind of forgiveness being articulated in this verse is an unconditional acceptance, an unqualified removal of all that has been committed against a believer. A kind of forgiveness that knows no limit, indefinite forgiveness. And Jesus will now illustrate this kind of forgiveness with a parable. When you hear of a parable, what goes through your mind? A story. But because of that, I would love to sample your view at random. Yeah. Uh, generally, like, uh, uh, generally, some people think that, say, a parable is a figure of speech or a wise saying that requires an interpretation. Uh, uh, one of my lecturers at GWC, Reverend Rose Anderson, he said, or he defines a parable as an ordinary story of our daily experience with a heavenly meaning. That a parable is simply an ordinary story of our daily experience with a heavenly meaning. And let's see how that plays out here. So in this parable, the center of gravity evolve around one thing, and that is the day of settlement and the outcome. The day of settlement and the outcome. So Jesus introduces this parable from verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. As he began the settlement, a man who owns him 10,000 talents 
was brought to him. Looking at verse 23, there is a striking contrast there. Likening the kingdom of heavens to a king. There is a striking contrast there with an eschatological or end-time perspective. What uh, this, that particular verse is simply say, just as the kingdom of heaven is a fact, just as it is rare, the day of judgment is inescapable. The day of judgment is unavoidable. It is a day that must come. But we should note that uh, this is a call to accountability, which does not necessarily imply God's irrevocable judgment. Verse 24 says, This servant owns the king 10,000 talents. The original Greek word translated 10,000 also means uncountable, yeah. countless. Yeah. So this is just a hyperbolic picture of how incalculable this servant's debt was, how immeasurable his debt was. And what happened? Verse 25 tells us, he was not able to pay. The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had been sold to repay the debt. As you can see, this day, according to verse 25, seems not to be a favorable day to this servant. It seems to be a day of wrath to this servant. Because him, his children, his wife will be sold into slavery. So his inability to settle his debt will affect his future. It will affect his family because they will be so into slavery to settle the debt. So you, get to, you, you got to know this. In ancient uh, Judaism or in ancient Israel, uh, debtor slavery was a common practice. When a debtor is unable to settle their debt, uh, the creditor will come and take the ch- their child or whatsoever. But in some worst scenario, the whole family are so into slavery. And uh, you got to know that in ancient Judaism, debtor slavery was actually designed as a means of punishment and not as a means of payment. Because the amount that was always given in exchange was always insignificant compared to what has to be settled. And uh, oftentimes, when a debtor is unable to redeem himself, what was, uh, what was often required on, of them was just a mere act of Humility, just a mere act of, uh, yeah, humility, so to say. And uh, this servant came face to face with reality that he cannot help himself. He cannot sort himself out. And he got to respond. He got to get his family sorted out of this mess. And uh, what do, what, how does he respond? Verse 26 says, at this time the servant fell on his knee before the king. Be patient with me. He begged, and I will pay back everything. Looking at verse 26, 13 stands out. The servants responded in three ways. The first response of this servant is a posture. Verse 26, it says, he fell on his knee. A posture. To fall on your knee is an act of surrender. It is an act of reference. It is an act of worship. He is telling the king that I surrender before you. I recognize the fact that I am indebted to you. And the second response is he make a request. And what is the request? He said he begged the king. He asked the king to be patient with him. He asked the king to persevere. He said, who on? 
give me some time. And the third response is a pledge. And what is the, to, a pledge simply means a promise. He told the king, I'm going to pay all. In other words, as he's begging the king, as he's telling the king, be patient with me, who on, I'm going to pay. He make a promise. And of course we know this is a promise he will not fulfill. But he make it anyway. You know? But he came face to face with the fact that uh, he can't help himself. He came face to face with reality. The only thing that could help him out was an, was an expression of remorse. And uh, his overwhelming plight would touch the king. And the king would do something. The king would respond. And what is the response of the king? The king took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. You see? The king did not just look at him and said, Oh, you poor servant, now that you have begged, now that you have pleaded, now that you have made a promise, let's come to an agreement. Are you going to pay me in two installments or three installments? No, 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 no. The Bible says the king took pity. What does it mean to have pity? Pity means compassion, sympathy. The king was moved with compassion from the depth of his heart. He, did not, he was not just moved with compassion. He did not just took pity of him. He did something. He canceled his debt. This is connecting us to the kind of forgiveness that Jesus has just articulated in verse 22. He canceled his debt. An unconditional acceptance. Unqualified remover. He canceled his debt. That is, and the king erased the record. His overwhelming plight touched the king, and the king gave him what he didn't deserve. This is the kind of forgiveness that Jesus is articulating. But as you know, this servant will not understand the meaning of what the king has done to him. He won't understand. He will miss the point. And how would he miss the point? Verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owns him a hundred silver, a hundred silver coin or 1,000 denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. You see, this man went about looking for his own. Brother, come, come. Pay back my money. (laughs) (laughs) That is exactly what he did. So he missed the point. He searched for his own, he searched for, he searched for his own uh, debtor. Pay back my money. But his servant also will respond. This servant now will also respond. And how does he respond? He fe- the, his fellow servant fell to his knee and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay back. You see, his own servant also responded to him in a similar manner that he responded to the king. But you know what? He will not, he will not reciprocate. He will not reciprocate. Verse 20, verse 30 says, but he refused. What does it mean to refuse? To refuse means to resist. He refused. He could not reciprocate what the king has done to him. He refused. He went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. You see, this servant 
Instead of responding with the same, with the same, with the same grace that the king showed him, he delivered physical punishment. Don't you understand? The Bible says he grabs him and began to choke him up. Instead of, instead of showing the same grace, the same benevolence that was extended to him, he delivered assault, physical punishment on his own, on his own debtor. Instead of, selling him into, into, instead of selling him into slavery, what did he do? He threw him into the jail, a place where it would be very difficult and if not impossible for his own debtor to settle the debt. And you got to know about uh, the, uh, the nature of prison in ancient Judaism. Prison was constructed for, for mainly for two categories of people. Uh, for the criminals of the kings and for debtors who were suspected of escaping because they wouldn't be able to pay their debts. And uh, the prison was not a place where you share pleasantry. Uh-uh. It was a place where you were subjected to hard labor and torture. But this cruel action of his will cost him something. Definite sentiment is, is inescapable. His hard-heartedness will cost him something. So look at verse, 20, verse 31. Reconnect us back to verse 23. Re-inviting the king into the scene for intervention by peer report. So there were other servants who saw what happened, and they were very displeased with what happened, and they will have to report to the king, re-inviting him for intervention. And what does the king do? The king called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancel all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? You see, the first count charge against this servant is wickedness. The first count charge against him is wickedness. It is at this particular verse that we know the true nature and identity of this servant as the king qualifies him wicked. What does it mean to be wicked? To be wicked means uncompassionate. To be wicked means to be self-centered, to be selfish, to be unremorseful. The king expected that the kind of benevolence that he showed him would have impacted his personality so that he can extend such to others. But he failed to get it. He failed to get it. But this will cost him something. This will cost him something. And what is the consequences of failure to extend grace to others? Verse 34 says, In anger, the king handed him over to the jailer to be tortured until he should pay back all he owned. This is how my heavenly father will treat you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. You see, look at that. Since it will be impossible for this servant to settle his debt, is going to experience an indefinite punishment. This is a metaphorical allusion to an eternal destiny of judgment. But I want us to know that uh, the king is not punishing him principally because of debt. The king is punishing him because of his unforgiving attitude. Remember, in verse 25, he was supposed to be thrown into jail alongside with his children, family. But here, he is being punished or thrown into jail alone. Meaning, this is not a restoration of the initial punishment pronounced in verse 25. He is going to jail because of his unforgiving attitude. So, in all this, what is this parable basically saying to us? 
What is the main principle of this parable? What is the principle of this parable? What is this showing us? What is this telling us? How does this touch us? How does it affect us? All, all that this parable is saying, all that this parable is drawing our attention to, it is a display of a kind of forgiveness that God, who alone is God, who is king, has demonstrated toward those who have offended him, toward those who have sinned against him. The kind of forgiveness that is being articulated in this uh, parable, Jesus is defining what forgiveness looks like for those who have encountered the kingdom. You see, this first servant has been forgiven such an incalculable amount. That incalculable amount of this first servant represents our sin, sin that we could never have been able to pay for. Don't you understand? The Bible says in Romans 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. At a certain point, we were all debtors to God. We were all indebted to God, miserable and destitute. But as we read in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, the Bible says, And God made Jesus Christ, who knew no sins, to become sin for us. Our sin has been paid for. It has been, it has been dealt with. Not by the intervention of our government. Not by the intervention of the International Court of Justice. Uh-uh. It was dealt with by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. You see? But unfortunately, unfortunately, we don't understand what that, has, that, that means to us. Oftentimes, we still hold on to little things that people have done to us. We don't look at how much God has given us. We come to, we still hold people in our heart with unforgiveness. Things that is insignificant compared to what God has given us in return. You see, I mean, you are to forgive people not because they deserve it. You are to show grace to people not because they marry it. It is a virtue. Let your forgiveness represent the character of your heavenly father. And it should come from the heart. From the heart. Have compassion toward people. Be gracious toward people. Give people another chance. It doesn't matter. Even if the who of South Africa offends you, it is nothing worth compared to your own sin alone before God. And God have dealt with it. God have dealt with it. Please look people with the same eyes that God looks at them, with compassion. You know, there are some of you here, you are struggling, you feel unfulfilled in life, you are struggling, you are restless, you can't sleep because, because of somebody who is holding you on forgiveness. There is somebody out there that is feeling frustrated, who is stranded because you have not forgiven them. What does it cause you to forgive? Why do you allow people with mistakes to cause you to live in mistake also? It is an error for a Christian to live with in, in unforgiveness. It is an error. If you have never forgiven people, my brother, you are far from testing the true virtue of Christianity. It doesn't cost you anything. 
It doesn't cause you anything. Your forgiveness of people often can turn them toward God and draw them into a, an, an intimate relationship of God's love for them. Yes. Learn how to forgive people. Give people another chance. Don't, it doesn't matter what they have done to you. It doesn't matter the amount of money that somebody is owing you. What is that money? Is it money that will take you to heaven? You would tell me, you say, Shalom, you don't know. I invested my energy, I invested my resources in this relationship. I did everything to ensure that this relationship goes. But this wicked man, this wicked woman separated with me. Is it a relationship that will take you to heaven? Why do you allow the mundane, temporal, shadow things to affect a relationship with God? Live a higher life. Live a, there's a higher life, brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter what somebody has done to you. You can be angry. You can be boiling. He said, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You will live a wonderful life. Yeah. Okay. I tell you the truth. You know, you look at, there are some people, like honestly, there are some people where you think of what they have done to you. You think about how much they have scandalized you. Before you forgive them, you will cry. You will weep. Yes, and if it, if, if it requires you to cry, do so and forgive. Think about Joseph. Think about Joseph in Egypt. He wept when his brothers, and, when his brothers came to him requesting for forgiveness. He wept. He wept. Think about Jesus. He was on the cross. The pain was too much. The neck, pong, pong, it was too much. As he was about giving up, he simply said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Think about Stephen. He came and followed the same pattern. He was stunned, stunned. The pain was too much. What did Stephen do? He said, Father, do not count this against them. These are heroes before us that we got to imitate. When you say you are a Christian, you are called to, be an, to imitate Christ. Forgive people. Give people another chance. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I want to tell you this. Forgiveness is not easy at all. It is not easy, but you know what? It is possible. Forgiveness is not cheap. It is not cheap at all. It's not cheap, but you know what? It is free. It is free. Forgiveness is free. Yes. Forgiveness doesn't, it doesn't reduce you. It doesn't take anything out of your personality. Instead, forgiveness gives you peace. It gives you joy. It gives you hope. And the key is stop focusing on what people have done to you and focus on what God has done for you. And uh, I pray, my prayer for you this day is, as you go out, don't only ask people to forgive you. Also open up to accept forgiveness from others. Embrace people back. You know, some of us are neck deep into unforgiveness, so much so that it would take a miracle to get you out of that hole. And today is the day that you come out of that hole. And I want to ask Pastor Sheldon uh, to please come up. You know, you are here, you are struggling with that with unforgiveness, bitterness, malice. You, you don't, you don't, you, I mean, there are some people, when you see them, you will turn your head this way. <laughs> when you see, when you sit in the church, you see people coming, you just go as if you want to be. Please, God wants to deal with that today. 
God wants to deal with that today. And God wants to give you the grace. Grace to go out and forgive people. Grace to go out and reconcile with people. Grace to go out and love people. If you are in that situation, please just rise upon your feet. You need that grace to forgive. You need that grace to love people again. You need that grace to give people another chance. Please just rise upon your feet as shared and pray for you to receive that grace. Very powerful word this this morning. You know know what the world needs is Christians who shine the light. You know what the world doesn't need? Nitty, pity Christians who knitted all these little things. You know who we fight against the most? The Church of Christ. (laughs) Promise you. Powerful word, Shalom. Powerful word this morning. Bless you, my brother. Bless you. Mm. Quieten your heart before. I want to pray. I want to pray over us because this, this is the key to God working in and through you. If you speak to anybody that deals with deliverance and the power of the, what the enemy roots in people's lives, the root to most things is unforgiveness. Just close your eyes. Close your eyes. Let's look to him. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that we could never pay the debt of our own wickedness, our own brokenness, our own sinfulness. We could never, ever repay you. But you, in your grace and truth that you came with, paid a price that set us free. Now, for those that are standing, I want you to, I want you to, you know why you're standing. I want you in your hearts now to say, say it in your heart. Just say it in your heart. Father, I forgive. And you say their name. Say their name. Say the circumstance. Say, be purposeful about the direction of what you are releasing that grace to. Say, Father, in my heart, you, you see my heart. I release so-and-so. I forgive them for what they did to me. I forgive that company. I forgive that person. I forgive that circumstance, the situation. I forgive because it costs and it means nothing and only just holds you back if you do not let it go. Folks, I've had to do this over and over again. Just let people go. Let them go. So, Lord, we thank you for the truth that it says that that Jesus came with grace and truth. The thing about truth is that it's nothing hidden. Nothing hidden in your heart. So, Father, as we have opened up our hearts to you this morning, we pray, Father, that your grace washes over us, that your mercy, it washes over us and sets our souls and sets us free to worship you without this baggage that the enemy wants you to hold on to. And I release freedom over every single heart here this morning by your Spirit that we walk in freedom. If you even feel the compulsion of just even messaging that person or messages saying, hey, just, you know, bless you. Nothing, don't try and patch it up, make it all happy. That's not the point, is that your heart is released them. And you let the Holy Spirit lead you in what the next steps are to walk in forgiveness and to walk in freedom. Oh, we honor you today, Jesus. Let's all just stand together if we can and just bless his name. Lord, we want to thank you that you are a good, good father. We thank you that the light has come into the world and the darkness has not overcome it. That's the truth spoken in John right at the beginning. 
And we want to thank you, Lord, that your light shines in our hearts. We want to thank you that we've tasted of your goodness. And as you keep working deep in our hearts, Lord, we want to live as ambassadors for your kingdom that shine the light for you, not harbor these things and hold these things in our hearts, but in freedom. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom in your hearts. I just want to reach out. I want to pray for Shalom. Just honor what God has done in this heart. Father, I want to thank you for this gift that you have kind of settled in this body for these last few years. Father, I pray that you continue to open the doors for him. All the challenges that are laid ahead now with the realities of wanting to be in Japan. Father, we thank you that, as the proverb says, that we order our and set our path, but it's you who order our steps. And Father, I pray that as he just journeys of trusting and believing, if you are, thank you for the faith in his heart. Thank you for the trust that he has in you. I pray you'd continually raise this man up to be mighty for your kingdom. As he preaches the word with power, as he preaches the word with truth, I pray you'd continue to use him for the advancement of your kingdom here on earth. And we just pray your blessing over him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Yeah, outstanding. Alison, thank you for being with us this morning.